you know, to date, probably our biggest investment actually is Bitcoin itself, Liquid Protocol. We bought it in 2018. We've never sold any of it. We won't sell any of it for, for a long time. As you approach fair value, the price starts to accelerate. And that brings in the speculators and ultimately the gamblers. And if they bring leverage, that's when we get these parabolic moves. As it replaces gold as the base layer of money, which I believe will happen. Gold has been it for 5,000 years. The next 5,000 will be Bitcoin. And so the reason Warren wants to piss on Bitcoin is Bitcoin threatens the $7 trillion a year trust industry. Hi, my name is Jason Rasnick, the CEO of Benzinga, and welcome to the Raz Report. As always, before we kick things off, I want to quickly tell you about what Benzinga is. Before I started Benzinga in 2010, there were very few places to get real-time information on financial markets. I thought it was unfair that Wall Street had access to this information before the average Joe investor. So I created Benzinga to level the playing field for you, the retail investor. Benzinga is for the people and by the people. Now, let's dive into the show. Hello, welcome to this week's edition of the Raz Report, a fintech power hour. We got another fintech titan, and this is Mark Yusko, Morgan Creek Capital. Excited to have you on and talk crypto and everything else that comes to mind. How are you doing today? Doing great. Thanks for having me. I, I'm excited about this conversation. I, I, I rarely run into people who, who bring more energy to a conversation than I do, but, but you're starting that way, so I like it. Yeah, we'll see how I level. We'll see how we go. But just a brief thing. Uh, what is Morgan Creek? What do you guys do? Yeah, so Morgan Creek Capital Management, company I formed uh, about 20 years ago, was an asset manager. We spun out of... Uh, University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. And we were one of the original OCIOs, outsourced chief investment officers. We uh, kind of transitioned out of that business over the years to become more of an asset manager. Did a lot of things in venture capital, in growth capital in China, hedge funds, private investing. Uh, but all throughout my career, I've had, uh, Jason, a, cult a culture of co-investment. So I would allocate capital to some of the best and brightest minds in the world, Kleiner Perkins, Caulfield Byers, and Sequoia, and Mayfield, et cetera, Founders Fund. And then when they had a great deal, we would co-invest uh, alongside them. And so from that developed direct investing. And to make a long story short, 10 years ago, a uh, buddy of mine, Dan Moorhead from, from Pantera, I'm sure you know him, yep, he yep. Uh, called me and, and said you know, he was shutting down his hedge fund, which we had helped start. Uh, or seed, I guess. He started, we seeded it. And um, he said he was shutting it down and spend the rest of his life doing Bitcoin and blockchain. And I said, look, I wasn't running drugs on Silk Road, not a cryptography student. 10 years ago, didn't really understand what Bitcoin was. Uh, but when he said blockchain is an operating system, I'm like, yeah, I made a lot of money in operating systems. I can do that. So started down the path. It took me five years to convince my clients and others that, that it wasn't crazy, right? That this magic internet money wasn't just, you know, crazy, crazy stuff for drug dealers and terrorists. Yeah, yeah. Long story short, uh, five years ago, started Morgan Creek Digital, which is a subsidiary of Morgan Creek Capital. And I have transitioned from being kind of a, a chief investment officer for hire to a, a late in life venture capitalist. So we're on our fourth fund uh, that invests in the digital asset ecosystem. Morgan Creek Digital invests in what we call the ABCDs of the digital age, AI, blockchain, chips, and data. 
And we've made about 75 investments across that ecosystem. We also dabble in, in liquid protocols as well. What's the average size of like an investment you make? Yeah, so we have raised about half a billion dollars over that five years. So uh, the, the, the average is a little funky. So you know, we have investments where we put in 100K and never did anything more. And we have investments where we put in 75 million. Um, so it's, it's everything in between. The, the way we do it is we'll, we'll start early. So we want to invest in about 30 funds, 30 companies per fund, half a million dollar check, maybe a million at that, that seed round, maybe an A. Then we will follow on in about two thirds of them. I would say, I, I wish I knew which third were the crappy ones. Right, I wouldn't right. invest in them, but, but I don't. And, uh, and those checks are kind of two to three million. And then four or five will get big, right? Those will be our core investments. Uh, you know, to date, probably our biggest investment actually is Bitcoin itself, Liquid Protocol. We bought it in 2018. We've never sold any of it. We won't sell any of it for, for a long time. Uh, and we view it as a venture capital investment. You know, back then it was a Series B-ish. Uh, today it would be more like a Series D maybe. Uh, still lots of upside, but, but not as much as there was five years ago. And that's Bitcoin itself. Yeah, Bitcoin itself as the protocol. I mean, and the reason is, if you go back to the internet, Right. We were early, early investors in the Internet, in companies like Yahoo and eBay and Google. And the problem was the only way you could invest in the Internet was in the application layer. No one can own TCP IP. You and I are using it right now. It's it's gold, but you can't own it and you can't own FTP to, to transfer files and you can't own uh, HTTPS for Web pages or www. You can't you can't own it. In the digital age, this new protocol stack, you know, Bitcoin is, I believe, the base layer like TCP IP. Ethereum is kind of like the www. You can own those protocols and about 80%, 80% of the value created in the ecosystem has accrued to the protocols. Only about 20% to companies like Coinbase and Kraken and, and Gemini and things like that. And we've invested in both. But uh, most of the big wealth so far has been created by the protocols. That's an amazing way to look at it. Because if you think of the internet ages, you got your Ebays, you got on sales that didn't, like there's a lot of internet applications that didn't work. But what you're saying is the Bitcoins of the world, the TCP IP or the WWW, and that's the way you look at it. So you're saying this is giving you a chance to invest in the behind the scenes for what the internet was back Absolutely. then. Absolutely. I mean, you know, think about it. I say this all the time. The guy who invented the internet, not Al Gore, although we, we do owe Al Gore a debt of gratitude because he blocked the bill that AT&T and Verizon were trying to pass to kill the internet. Because okay. they did not want you and I to be able to talk for free yep. over the internet. They wanted to charge us $3 a minute. And long story short, the guy who invented the internet, Tim Berners-Lee, yep who wrote 9,400 lines of code, it's a lot of code, to create the first web page. So he took this thing that Vint Cerf invented in the late 70s, this thing called TCP IP, and 20 plus years later, 1991, creates the first web page. Today, there's, there's 1.7 billion web pages. It's a lot. So, but Tim is not a rich guy. Now he's doing fine. He's a professor at MIT and he's, you know, he actually, I love it. He, he turned that, that code 
into an NFT and sold it for like 2.8 million. I love that. I actually wanted to buy it, but got outbid. Um, so I just think that's amazing. And uh, I, I look at him and say, well, wait a second. He was the one that had the vision, but he couldn't own that infrastructure layer. And that was web one. Web two was even more about the applications. So as much money as we made in web one, which was a lot and 2 trillion of total value in web one, web two was bigger. We made a lot more in Alibaba, in Facebook, in Amazon, because web two went from read only to read write. And in read write, it was all about the application layer, right? Zuck steals the idea from the Winklevoss twins, creates an app, gives it away, right? Think about that business model. I'm gonna give this thing away. Terrible business model, everybody yelled at him. He's like, yeah, but people are gonna give me content for free. Their pictures, their, their data, what they're doing, where they're going. And then I can sell that for a lot and make myself and, and others really, really rich. So Tim should have got a chunk of that because everything that happens on Facebook is using TCPIP, but you can't. So in web three and the, what I call the, the truth net, right? So we went from the internet to the mobile net to the truth net. In the truth net era, you can own the protocols. Now you also want to own the companies. Equity is good. You know, one of the challenges of protocols is there's this pyramid of protocols. And I say, it's, it's always like, it's like Saudi politics. There's the king, the crown prince, and all the other princes that hate each other. And there are thousands of princes in Saudi. Only two really matter, the king and the crown prince. Same thing, there's Bitcoin and Ethereum, and then all the other princes that hate each other. Now, below the, the, the actual things like Solana and Avalanche and, and uh, Cosmos and Optimism, below that, the Doge and the Shiba, there's, there's just dog shit everywhere that has no use, no meaning. Yep. It's literally just trading sardines and eventually we'll all go to zero, but something in that middle layer will probably ascend and be become pretty interesting things. And what I can't figure out, Jason, is I have this mental model that if we take the five protocols of the internet, right? TCP IP at the bottom, FTP, HTTPS, SMTP, www. Okay, good. In the next age, Web3, is it Bitcoin, Filecoin, like FTP, Ethereum, like www. Is it Cosmos? Is it Polkadot? Is it Solana? Is it Avalanche? I don't know. They're kind of duking it out. There's a great panel down in, in Austin at Permissionless with, you know, the optimism and the, the Cosmos and, and the, I mean, the Cosmos and uh, Solana guys really, you know, went at each other. Duking it out. They were duking it out. And it was great. It was great. And, and the analogy I thought was really interesting. The, the Cosmos guy was saying, yeah, Solana, you knock yourself out and build this great mainframe. I'm going to build the PC. And I, again, I don't know if that's necessarily true, but it was a good analogy. Um, but they went at it. So I don't really know if that's the model or the Bitcoin maxis would say, oh, no, it's the Lord of the Rings. One chain to rule all chains. There's Bitcoin, Lightning, L3, L4, which haven't been invented yet. That's it. Okay, maybe. I mean, I, I could see that. It is the most secure chain. 
it's the most reliable chain. It's the most defensible chain. I think proof of work is def more defensible than proof of stake and proof of history and all that other stuff. But that's, that's a, it's not my position. I'm just saying that's another mental model. And then there's a third one, which is a bunch of L1s and then bridges across. I like that because I think there's a lot of innovation at the L1. The problem is those bridges are so insecure. You know, they're not, they're not robust. And someone said, oh, well, you know, that just means, Mark, you're, you're going you're gonna to love Chainlink at some point. Yeah, maybe. Um, so those are, those are the three mental models I kind of think about. So the naysayer would be the Warren Buffett of the world saying, hey, I can buy, you know, a thousand apartment buildings and get rent every month. And I have a building I have someone to live. Someone takes a shower, the whole thing. Bitcoin, I, you know, it only goes up as someone who wants to buy it and there's more value to it. There's no dividend. There's nothing like that. How do you respond to uh, Warren, Uncle G? Look, look um, I have a long history of, I won't say criticizing Uncle Warren, because look, he's a mad genius. What he created is one of the great structures in the history of financial engineering. Okay. But that's what it is. He created a structure that is not replicable, right? His dad was a powerful congressman. He got legislation passed that allowed him to create a vehicle that does not ever pay taxes, ever. No other company can get this structure. He's the only one. They never, ever pay taxes. He borrows money from his customers at negative interest rates, meaning he uses Geico to fund his investments. So people pay him to hold their money until they have a claim, right? That's how insurance works. It's a beautiful business. So it has negative cost of capital. And that for he, therefore, he's leveraging his underlying portfolio. Everybody says, oh, he's this great stock picker. Well, he's not. He buys high cash flow assets, right? When he bought Wells Fargo. It wasn't because they were a great bank or a cheap stock. It was because they had moved to fees. They weren't uh, reliant on net interest margin. They had lots of fees. He bought Apple, not at the beginning when they were, you know, very volatile. He bought them when they had the app store and it was all about the fees and they could buy back stock every quarter. So it, he is a mad genius, but he's a mad genius for other reasons. But 46% of what he owns is financial services. Now, he's also said the same things about gold. He hates gold. Right. Right, because it has no dividend. Well, it doesn't have to have a dividend. Gold is money. Gold is the only money in the world, right? Money is an asset that exists in the absence of a liability. Everything else that we think of as money is currency. It's backed by debt and credit. And so Warren himself has built this empire in fiat currency. And, and the great thing about fiat currency is when you're at the tippy top, Okay, I should do it like this for the all-seeing eye. When you're at the tippy top, it's awesome if the government devalues the currency. Because your real estate goes up in value, your stocks go up in value. And if you own levered stocks that doesn't pay interest, whoo, it's amazing. So he's at the tippy top of the spear where every time the government creates inflation, which is supposedly good for us somehow, about stealing from the poor to give to the rich. I mean, it's reverse Robin Hood all the way. And 
that structure is what has dominated for the last 800 years. So 800 years ago, the Rothschilds and the Medicis created this structure. And it's dependent on fractional reserve banking. And the people at the top get super rich and the masses get super dependent. Fine. That's, that's, that's fine. Well, it's not, not fine, actually. But okay, that, that's why he loves it. So why does he hate gold? Well, he hates gold because it is the store of value that is the antithesis of what he has created. So let's think about this. People say stocks are at all-time highs. Mm, only because we denominate them in toilet paper in the U.S. dollar, right? If you denominate stocks in gold, they're dead flat since 1997. Dead flat. And if you denominate them in Bitcoin, they're down a lot. Now, Bitcoin's only been around 14 years. But um, it's because the currency is being devalued. And so the reason Warren wants to piss on, on Bitcoin is Bitcoin threatens the $7 trillion a year trust industry. And this is, this is big, right? 46% of his portfolio is in this industry. Banks, insurance, brokerage, auditing, accounting. All of that is because of this. In the old days, I would, lean, I would lend you money. And I would write down in my book, and I'm old, so I had a papyrus tablet, right? I would write down, Jason owes me $100. You'd go away for a year. You'd come back with $110. Turns out I'm an unscrupulous guy. I've erased the 100 and I've written 200 you come back to pay me 110 and I'm like, Jason, you owe me 220. And you're like, no, I only borrowed hundred. Jason, it says right here in the book. And there was only one book and you had to trust me, but I wasn't trustworthy. So what did they do? The Rothschilds and the Medicis borrowed, stole an idea from these monks. And I actually learned this summer that those monks were actually the order of Christ in Portugal, the, the Knights Templar, believe it or not who had invented fractional reserve banking because a bunch of knights would go off on these tasks and some of them wouldn't come back because it was a dangerous time in the 1100s. And they had all this extra gold. So they started lending it and created fractional reserve banking. So the, the Medici said, hey, Jason, you keep a ledger and Mark, you keep a ledger, dual entry accounting. And we, the benevolent Medicis, for a small fee, will make sure that the numbers match. So you come back a year later. Now it turns out the Medicis were, shall we say, corruptible. So I had gone to the Medicis and said, you know, guys, I'm going to change my number to 200 and I'll give you half. Okay. So you come back and you say, okay, here's the 110. And I'm like, no, you owe me 220. Is, is this all to get to the point that Bitcoin's all, you know, trackable, recordable, and there's none of this, you know, stuff where people can manipulate? It is truth. Bitcoin is truth. It is triple entry accounting verified yep. by a decentralized network that is permanent, yep. immutable, and unchangeable. And in that, in the presence of that system, we don't need banking. We don't need auditing. We don't need brokerage. We well, have truth. Well, you need auditing in the sense of, I mean, I guess auditing for your, like a company, but you're saying auditing in terms of like, did payments come in, payments go out because Bitcoin's truth because you can verify. It's all, it's all on chain, right? It's oh, all on the ledger. Yeah. Yeah. And here's the, and so the interesting thing is if I lent you a hundred dollars, the ledger says Mark lent Jason a hundred dollars. I yeah. can never change that number. Yeah. I can't bribe anyone to change it. I can't influence anyone to change it. And so truth 
replacing trust vaporizes $7 trillion a year, but that $7 trillion a year is somebody's revenue. JP Morgan's revenue, yep. the Rothschild's revenue at BIS. A lot of people don't want this to happen. So what do well, they do? They piss on it. Well, I mean, it, Bitcoin has definitely had a lot of headwinds in the last two years. I mean, from the bankruptcies of Voyager, BlockFi, FTX, Celsius, and many more. And that's how the common person would get into Bitcoin by buying it through one of those broker dealers. Now, I know I just had Kathy Wood on the Raz report and Kathy Wood yeah. said you got to buy it through, a, a, you know, cold storage or there's a Coinbase feature you can buy it through. Yep. But yep. it definitely burnt out a lot of people, including myself. I was one of the top creditors at Voyager at one point, and I only and yep. I only had USDC. I thought it was one to one. Right. I didn't know they could leverage the shit up. I d didn't pay attention. Mark, have you written any books? You know, I have I have never written a book. Uh, seems like you. It seems like you'd want to. You, you're like a historian on this stuff. The Medici's. I mean, I don't know who the Medici's are. I just went along with it. Uh, I mean, other rocket. Oh no. Okay. Well, Medici's. You know, I mean, you're inspiring me. You're yeah, inspiring me, Russ. Yeah. This, um, you, you literally just gotta turn off the screens and just start typing your book because you got a history lesson. I could see like Medici's this and oh, history repeats itself. You know. History does rhyme for sure. History and it rhymes. does repeat in terms of cycles. And look, there's nothing new in this world, right? There's this, there's this famous um, management guru. Uh, his name is Robert Maxwell or Richard Maxwell or something. I think Robert. And, yeah. um, I think it's Robert Maxwell. Um, <laughs> yep. All of his books are just taking stuff from 2,600 years ago, from Aristotle and Socrates and Seneca the Younger. And... They said it all because humans are human, but there is a 90 year cycle, three generations. It takes three generations to forget. And so you repeat. And so every three generations, we have a big depression. We have a reset. We have this fourth turning uh, that Neil talks about, Neil Ferguson and yep. well, not Neil Ferguson. Well, um, go with it. Yeah, no, no, no. Later, they'll, be late, they'll be later for your book. You'll get it right. No, no, right. Niall Ferguson's different, but, but the guy who yeah. wrote the, the, fourth, tur the fourth turning. Um, I should give him credit, but it's, it's a really interesting dynamic. So at the end of the day, financial services is a rent seeking business, right? If I want to transfer money to you, you have to have a bank account. I have to have a bank account. We pay fees on that. And then when I transfer money, I use a wire transfer and have to pay fees. If I want to send you Bitcoin, a couple of taps with a keyboard and boom, it's in your wallet. Yep. So that difference is real. But the more important difference is the difference between fiat currency and a deflationary currency. Inflationary currencies can be devalued. And everyone in the history of the world has been, right? There have been 775 paper currencies in the history of the world. Three quarters of them, gone. They don't exist. They were devalued to zero. Pound sterling's down 99% in 307 years or whatever. The dollar is down 98% since 1913, since the Fed was created. So that devaluation is real. That's inflation, which steals your purchasing power. And I ask people this all the time. What's the lowest price you remember for a gallon of gas? I'm old, so mine was 33 cents. I just paid $4.33 for a gallon. Yep. It's the same gas. It does the same thing. It didn't grow. It didn't get better. It didn't get more efficient. In fact, it's less efficient because it's got ethanol in it, but we'll, we'll leave yep. that out. Yep. What happened is the money got worse. 
And here's a crazy stat. From 1776, the beginning of the Republic, to 2000, we created $10 trillion. Remember, $1 trillion is a dollar every second for 31,710 years. So $10 trillion is a lot. From 2000 to 2002, to, from 2020 to 2022, we created another $10 trillion through this modern monetary theory, this cult of Kelton thing. Well, if you think about that, what happened to the value of the money? It got cut in half. So like Zillow tells me my house here in Chapel Hill went up 50%. No, no, it didn't. It didn't grow. It didn't get more efficient. It actually wore out a little bit. What happened is the money got worse. And that's what people are experiencing. And I was like, oh, that's inflation. No, that's currency devaluation. And they're very different things. Okay, so you're so you're very big into covering currency, and you think a lot of this stuff is from currency manipulation, you know, like oh, hundred percent. And look, Larry Fink went on television and said this a month ago. This is crazy. Five years ago, he said Bitcoin is an index of money launderers. That was his direct quote. A month ago, he went on CNBC and said Bitcoin is here to stay. It's an institutional asset. And you should probably have some to protect yourself against the devaluation of the currency. Like, wait a minute, you're part of it, right? You're part of that group that's responsible for the devaluation. But he admitted it right on, right on television. I thought that was amazing. Yeah, no, for sure. Now, how many people are at Morgan Creek? So there's about 30 of us. Okay. And um, there's about eight of us in the digital side. 22 kind of in the legacy side for your investments uh, do you find deals and that's when you call investors or do you have different funds so we have funds well so the answer is yes so both so um in the venture side so venture capital we raise funds every two years so we're, we're about to do the first close of our fourth fund um and that'll be open for another you know nine months or so so we'll take new commitments to that, to that venture capital fund. Then we do have uh, what we call the risk managed Bitcoin fund. It's a really simple idea, like a old style Chicago CTA. Yep. When the trend is up, we own Bitcoin. When the trend is down, we own cash and we try to preserve capital uh, to live to fight another day. Then we have uh, something we did with, with one of our portfolio companies called Bitwise, called the, the um, digital asset index fund and yep. that just owns the top 10 cryptocurrencies minus uh xrp and and uh, stellar which are too closely held and uh, but that's an index fund. so those are open all the time people can can add to those whenever okay so do you have a price target for bitcoin you I, know i had I, kathy wood on she was a million dollars so i know i know kathy look kathy is i'm a hyperbolic personality Right. My wife tells me all the time, you know, frequently wrong, never in doubt. I'm occasionally wrong, never in doubt. Um, Kathy makes me look conservative. So I love the fact that I can be on after her and people will say, oh, that's that's very conservative, even though it will sound like a big number. So, look, the fair value of Bitcoin today is around fifty two, fifty three thousand. fifty three thousand. Well, where's that number come from? Well, Metcalf created this law, Bob? an MIT professor. Yeah, Bob Metcalf yep. created this law called Metcalf's Law to value networks. Yep. And any network can be valued based on the number of participants and the connections yep. in, the, in, in the network. 
So based on a Metcalf's law model, this guy, Tim Peterson, who's a buddy of mine, uh, he'll, he'll calculate the fair value based on that, that, uh, uh, concept is around 52, 53,000. So in nine months, we're going to have a halving event where the block rewards in Bitcoin get cut in half. And so when that occurs, the price has to double. And historically, that's exactly what happens. So the fair value will go from low 50s to let's call it an even 100K. So between now and probably right after the halving, we probably migrate toward that, that 100K. So for me, by middle of next summer, 100K seems like a pretty even money bet. But then something weird happens, Jason. In every previous halving cycle, the investors come in now when the price at 26,000 is below the fair value and we start accumulating. Okay, then when it gets to fair value, we still accumulate, but we accumulate less fast. Well, then the halving occurs, fair value goes up, so we'll keep accumulating. As you approach fair value, the price starts to accelerate. And that brings in the speculators and ultimately the gamblers. And if they bring leverage, that's when we get these parabolic moves. So back, you know, in the last cycle, we, you know, the fair value was 30. We got all the way to 70. That was crazy. We should never be at 70. And so we had the crash. And so <laughs> we get this series of kind of flat movements, parabolic moves and crashes. And everybody during the crash says, oh, it's going to die. It's over. But then if you step back and you look at the 14 years, we keep making higher highs and higher lows, higher highs and higher lows. And so we went from zero 14 years ago to half a trillion dollars today, a little over. And eventually that million dollar number that Kathy comes up with, you know, is very feasible. I don't think it's going to happen in the next two years or five years, but if you think about gold being money, the problem with gold, if I had a brick of gold here and I wanted to break it in half and give you half, the problem is I'm not strong enough to break it. So it's not very divisible and I can't stuff it in the computer and send it to you. It's not very portable. So what's better than that? Well, Bitcoin's better than that. It's actually equally scarce to gold based on stock to flow models. So, as it replaces gold as the base layer of money, which I believe will happen, gold has been it for 5,000 years, the next 5,000 will be Bitcoin. As that happens, the monetary value of gold is about five and a half trillion. Okay. So, at five and a half trillion divided by, you know, kind of 20 ish million Bitcoins, you can get to a price of about 250K, right? All right. 250K sounds pretty good. Well, then where you go towards this million and say, well, but we could go beyond just the base layer of money. What's the valuation now of all of Bitcoin? All of Bitcoin today is about 500 billion. Okay. That would take it to 5 trillion. So about a 10X from here. Yep. We're at about 26K. So it'd be about 260 But that means people are not using gold as the, the standard, I guess, is what you're saying. So, so what happens is, you probably have both. And, and so this is where it gets a little dodgy is are all the central banks, right? If you think about money, global money, right? There's a hundred trillion dollars of money around the world. Mm -hmm. Yen, yep. euros, yep. you know, yep. all this, all of it sits on top 
of the five trillion of gold, right? That sits in Fort Knox and China and Russia and, and all the central banks jockey to own the gold. And then they issue debt backed by the government revenues theory or fiat. They just print more of it Yep. and they create money, right? Ones and zeros in our bank accounts that we spend. So over time, the central banks likely replace some, perhaps all, of the gold with Bitcoin because Bitcoin is more divisible, more portable. It has, quote unquote, lighter weight than gold, not physical weight, but it's, it's just easier to move around. And so in the digital age, when we get out of the analog world, like think about the cost of storing a brick of gold. Right? There's a physical cost to doing that every year. And you got to have Brinks trucks, and you got to have armed guards, and you got to have security cameras. But Bitcoin, we can secure it a lot cheaper. And so there's a natural movement as in everything in the world. Think about music. We used to have record albums, mm -hmm. physical record albums. Then we had electronic MP3s. And now we have digital streaming. And the beauty of digital streaming is we can attach ownership to the digital record and so the writer can get paid, the musician can get paid, we can eliminate the middle person, right? The record labels, they don't like that very much. And that's the same thing with banking, right? They are middle people, brokers are middle people. Like here's a crazy thing. Right now, you in your mind think you own some stocks. I think I own some stocks. We actually don't own them. The brokerage firms, you may use Merrill, I may use UBS. The brokerage firm actually owns the security and you and I have a IOU from the broker. When we exchange, they literally in Dallas, Texas, pick up a piece of paper and move it from the UBS file to the Merrill Lynch file and, and make a change in the QSIP, the electronic record on our two statements that we pull up on a you know centralized database. That's all gonna go away. And we will have digital records on blockchains, permanent, immutable, transparent, open, and cryptographically secure. And so as that occurs, I think everything moves in that direction. So to answer your question, short term between now and next year, I think we blow through fair value of 100 and we get to 150K because I don't think there's going to be as much leverage this time. So I don't think we'll do 2X fair value or 3X fair value, but I think we'll do one and a half times fair value. So you're longer term. I'm, I'm in Kathy's camp, but but longer term. So you're in the same camp as Michael Saylor, bullish, bullish, bullish on Bitcoin. So oh yeah, yeah. Look, Bitcoin is is superior technology, and there is not. And I've actually gone back and done a lot of work on this. Um, there's not a technology that reached critical mass that then got put back in the bottle, right? So you think about the history of computing, and that's all we're really talking about here. We had mainframes in 1954. 14 years later, we had the microchip and we had, you know, mini computers. 14 years later, we had even further microization and we had personal computers, right? That we're talking to right now. Then 14 years later, we had this thing called the internet. I remember Paul Krugman was like, oh, never be more important than a fax machine. Yeah, kind of. Um, 14 years later, and it's always 14 years because it's the young people that- I didn't know stuff. Paul said that, but I'll look that up. Oh yeah, he's a great, it's a great, he actually said, the internet will never be more important than the fax machine. I got to look that up because I'll use that in some of my articles. At oh, it's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah, and that's crazy. 
It is crazy. And so then the mobile net comes along. Yeah. And I remember being with the guy, Craig McCaw, famous investor. Wireless. In, uh, wireless. Yep. And I remember being at his house at a family office event and asked his, his manager, uh, you know, do you think the mobile net will be as big as the internet? He's like, Mark, are you kidding me? Ask me if they want a computer, like whatever. Ask me if they want a phone. Like I already have two. I don't need another one. Yeah. The mobile net would be bigger than the internet. So web yep. one, two trillion, web two, five trillion. But web three, which is 2024, right? Because next year, right? It's just around the corner is where we go from the internet to the mobile net to what I call the truth net. Yep. And we migrate from trust to truth. And that $7 trillion that is used to verify trust in the banking, financial services, insurance, auditing, accounting, that gets liberated. It doesn't really get vaporized. Yep. It gets liberated and released. And what could we do with six to 8% of GDP every year? Human creativity could do a lot with that. And human creativity, most powerful force on the planet, I think we get an exponential lift this time. And I think Web3 is a 15 plus trillion dollar opportunity. Huge. Wow. Okay. Well, guys, Mark does not have a book yet, but you can hear him at the future of digital assets, future of alternative investing, bzdigitalassets.com in a couple months. Mark Yusko, literally an encyclopedia. You'll get to have office hours with him after and ask some of these questions. But the good news is he'll probably sign a publisher deal after a publisher hears this interview because <laughs> you have more knowledge on this space than uh, pretty much anyone I've, I've ever heard go this deep on it. And the analogies are, are great. I mean, talking about TCP, IP, WWW, um, you couldn't own, own Mark, Mark uh, or no, Berners-Lee. What was Berners-Lee? Mark Berners-Lee? Berners-Lee, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you couldn't own, own that, and here you can. It's a great analogy. I may be stepping in my foot back into Bitcoin. We'll see. But awesome. yeah, but Mark, you just go. Thank you very much for coming on. Founder of Morgan Creek Digital. He will be at the Benzinga Future of Digital Assets, bzdigitalassets.com. And you'll get to hear him front and center and get office hours after the fact. So thanks again for coming on the Raz Report. No, thanks, Jason. Really fun. Thank you.